Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 127 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 127, Scott and I are going to do kind of three things. Actually, uh, the first thing is we're just going to talk through a handful of announcements, some of which are more routine and have been known for a while, and one of which is kind of really super new and awesome, and I'm excited to talk about it. And then Scott and I are going to, I don't know, not exactly deep dive. We're going to do a survey plus maybe a little bit of deep dive into the Third Age rulebook that was just recently published, like, I don't know, week and a half ago or something like that, basically on Christmas. Uh, whenever Christmas, I guess that was a, just a little over a week ago. So um, we'll be doing a little bit of Q&A regarding the rulebook there. And we are also then going to be talking about coaching that we think coaches should be giving their quizzers that we don't think coaches are actually giving their quizzers based on what we're seeing quizzers do or not do. So like our observations of quizzers, both in P&W and across, you know, the, 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 the U.S. and Canada, uh, quizzers doing things or not doing things. And we think coaches may not necessarily be coaching their quizzers in certain ways. We want to kind of uh, address some of those things. So with that all said, we'll dive in with announcements. So the first one is pretty straightforward. The first announcement is that PNW District has a district meet coming up. It is Saturday, January 14th at EBC Eastridge Baptist Church in Kent. It'll be our standard fair on Saturday from 8 a.m. to around 4-ish or so in the afternoon. We are going to break for lunch. Lunch is not going to be provided by the, the host. There are a number of really yummy options very nearby EBC. So we'll break for lunch, everybody go off and grab your food and come back. There will probably not be a leadership meeting uh, for that reason, just because of logistics and time and so forth. We'll probably have at least an hour, if not maybe a 90 minute break for lunch. Uh, so, uh, you know, certainly I'll be around, other people will be around for Q&A if anybody uh, is, gets back to the church early from their lunch break that sort of thing, but we probably won't have a formal leadership meeting per se. Uh, I should have an official roster draw and schedule published in the next day or two, hopefully in the next 24 hours, uh, but it may stretch a little bit into Wednesday if I get super busy. Kind of depends on how things are going. Um, in terms of the memorization uh, or, or, or question range. We're going to be doing questions from Acts chapter 1 through 13. A reminder to everyone that based on the majority vote of the leadership, the, the coaches and leadership from the previous Lighthouse meet, the quote two verses and finish two verses and similar question types are being deprecated and are being split up into single verse derivatives. So all of those verses are still in play as key verses. So like if there was a quote two verses, it just becomes two independent quote one verse questions, right? So all the material is the same. All of the key verses are the same. We're just, the, we're eliminating the, the two range uh, questions based on that vote from Lighthouse. So this um, upcoming EBC meet is going to be the first meet where that is going to take place. So then uh, looking forward into the rest of this season, of course, this is district meet number three. We have district meets number four and five coming up. I think the next one is going to be at 
ABC and then Lighthouse, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's Lighthouse and then ABC, something along those lines. Then we have Great West up in Canada in April, and then District Championships is going to be in May at uh, Double K up in Easton, which is going to be fantastic. It'll be this pretty much the similar sort of thing that what we did last season where it'll be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and um, encourage folks to be able to stay as long as they're able to, uh, because it's just going to be fantastic up there at the camp. And the fact that it's going to be a little bit later in this the year, um, a little bit towards the end of May, middle to the end of May versus, uh, I think it was like the second week of April last time, the weather should be tremendously warmer. So there may be a lot of a uh, lot more opportunity to do some fun things around the camp uh, instead of <laughs> worrying about leftover snow. Uh, maybe we can actually go swim in the lake or something like that, go on hikes and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of opportunities there. And then the big final announcement here is that uh, the Christian Bible Quizzing Organization, this is the official name now of the third age of quizzing. We're just going to call it Christian Bible Quizzing, mostly because I already own the domain CBQZ, so it was just easy to repurpose that. The uh, first ever third age meet is the International Open Championship, or IOC Meet. Uh, it is coming up and scheduled. It is going to be at uh, Seattle Pacific University on campus in uh, glorious Seattle, Washington. It'll be July 11th through the 13th. That's a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, ask questions and, or even submit interest in participating. It's a little bit too early to register yet, but we definitely want to hear from people, uh, that they are interested in participating. Please visit, C visit cbqz.org and click on, there's a link somewhere to submit your interest in being notified of updates and that sort of stuff about IOC. Now, it, one thing about IOC, actually two things about IOC, it is international and it is open, hence the name International Open Championship. So we are encourage, encouraging anybody from anywhere to participate and it is an open championship. So there is no pre-qualification round or anything like that. Any, any team that feels that they are going to be competitive enough to be able to participate, we encourage you to participate. And even teams that are maybe brand new and don't feel like they're going to be very competitive, we encourage you to consider participating as well. We are going to have a fairly quick um, initial prelim round and divide up into multiple different divisions as, as a result of that prelim round. So it'll provide the opportunity for people at one level of spectrum to be able to compete against each other and then have other divisions to be able to have fun as well at whatever level they happen to be at. So we encourage anybody interested in participating to consider uh, exploring. And on the website, cbqz.org, like I said, there's information there, but there's also a link to the new rule book. It is in preview mode. I'll sort of throw that caveat out there. So what you see on the website right now is probably close to what we're going to be using in July, but certain parts of it are, are likely to change. So we're going through some a revision process. We're going to be playtesting it this coming Saturday, possibly also the Sunday after a week and, and, and a day after that. So possibly also on the 15th in the afternoon. So we have a lot of opportunities here to playtest out and also putting together some playtest 
uh, stuff with other programs outside of PNW. So obviously I'm starting in PNW with some of the play testing, but this is meant as a uh, inter program, not just PNW sort of uh, experience. So I'm going to be working with Nazarene and Free Methodist and a few other organizations to do some play testing for them as well. And I also want to do some play testing with folks who have never heard quizzing, uh, heard about quizzing and to get their feedback as well and to factor all of that into how the rules work. So I figure by the end of January, maybe middle of February, I hope to lock down the rule book uh, so that uh, it doesn't, you can have something you can depend on in prep for July, but that's basically how the universe is shaking up. All right. So that's all the announcements. Uh, Scott, why don't you take it away with the third age rule book? Quick sidebar with you, Griffin. Yeah. How should I refer to the rule book for age three? Should I say that you wrote it? Should I, should I say we, should I say it was written? I don't know. Um, I hate passive voice. It is written. It, it was written is probably the most accurate phrase um, because for a number of reasons, I wrote the words, most of them, but you wrote a good chunk of those words too. And others wrote other parts of those words. And a good chunk of the dynamics of the rules was actually generated by a quasi AI. Um, so I wrote a bunch of simulations and uh, Monte Carlo simulations. And I also wrote a, a, a kind of a, not exactly an AI, a pseudo AI to actually simulate motivations based on certain assumptions, based on outcomes of the rule, and then ran a whole bunch of simulations to sort of tweak the dials, uh, the settings of these rules to kind of narrow in on what I thought could be some Nash equilibria of best rule set cases. So yeah, I guess if you want to, if you want the pen, if you want to find somebody to blame for this rule book, I guess I'm the best person to blame, but I could also share the blame with quite a number of people and software. Sure. I'm just wondering how, if you care how it's attributed, right? Oh, I, if you I don't, don't want, oh <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. I have no care whatsoever. My goal in quizzing, my personal goal in quizzing, I don't think, I don't think I've ever said this in, on the podcast before. My personal goal in quizzing is to contribute as much to quizzing as quizzing has contributed to me, which means I will never catch up. Um, and I hope, and I genuinely hope that five minutes after I leave quizzing, which hopefully will never happen until I die, but Five minutes after I leave quizzing, nobody remembers my name. Like, I, I just want quizzing to be awesome. Yep. All right. So we're diving into the age three rule book, and I have questions for Griffin because we are both rule book nerds. And I had many questions for Griffin about, hey, this seems super dumb. Can you tell me why? And I think I'm not sure there's anything that exists that I still think is a super dumb way to do it. Um, I just think some of the motivations or, or um, in, intermediate goals might have changed. Um, <clears throat> but let's dive into a few parts. I'm going to go right for scoring. Well, actually, we're going to start with what, what we're calling things. So should I just introduce it to the best of my ability? Yeah, Griffin, go for it. Do you do whatever, want to? Yeah, go do whatever you want. So instead of questions, they're called queries. And those queries have a prompt and a reply. Uh, and those are 
I mean, they're just names, but they're important because they signify very specific things. Whereas currently we have quiz questions, but each question has a question. So if you say question, are you referring to the overarching thing? Like question one that contains both the question and the quizzer's answer? Or is it just the question part of question one? Um, but here we have si significant words, query, prompt, and reply. There's and, one, sorry, there's one additional one, response. And response is different than reply. So a query, if you think of a query as being synonymous with a question, a prompt is synonymous with the question part of a question, right? How's that for overloading? The reply is what's written as the ideal response from the quizzer, right? So for example, a prompt might be, quote, Acts chapter one, verse two, right? The reply will be the text of that verse, right? The response is whatever the quizzer actually says, right? And ideally you want the response to equal the reply, but it does not necessarily have to. Gotcha. All right. And actually because of that, um, the first place I'm going to go is Quizmaster prompts. Am I correct that once a quizmaster has read a prompt, the prompt and a quizzer has jumped, that there is no the quizmaster doesn't say anything else until like um, a ruling is being put down? Sort of. So the quizmaster will call on the quizzer, and the quizzer will. Um, but yeah, essentially the quizzer has an opportunity to say things as part of their reply that are, sorry, as part of their response that is not part of the reply necessarily uh, to shape their response. Um, but the quiz uh, magistrate, not a quiz master anymore, it's a quiz magistrate because they're not mastering anything they're judging. It's still a QM, so we can still call them a QM, but they are magistrating, they are judging the quiz rather than mastering the quiz. So anyway, slight change there. But the QM, once they call in a quizzer, the QM remains silent until the quizzer is either correct or out of context uh, and thus incorrect or their time elapses. Right. Um, and so there is no there's no more. There's no again. There's no quote is complete. There's no what is your question. Um, there's no can you clarify he. I think those are the are those the current Quizmaster prompts in age two? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I'm missing something like that. Uh, I, this certainly covers most of them. And so right off the bat, you can see that there are going to be pros and cons of removing Quizmaster prompts. Um, there might be question types from H2 that you can't really do the exact same way. There might be some things that seem more difficult for the quizzer in H3 versus H2. If they, there aren't more, again, can you clarify prompts? Um, but then some things are a lot cleaner because currently there's not really any standard over how quickly or or very accurately a quiz master in age two has to be with a prompt, right? Specifically the, what is your question? Does that, you know, what, what if the quiz are speaking really fast? Does the quiz master have to jump in? There's all this like, um, possible inconsistency because there are variables like, the quizzer, how fast the quizzer's talking, whether the quizzer pauses, how quickly the quizmaster remembers, whether the quizmaster is still judging if the, what the quizzer said is correct enough to prompt them for their question. There's a lot of mental work that a quizmaster is doing that can lead to inconsistency when they have to give a prompt within some undefined timely manner. But one of the byproducts of that is there's no there's no quizzer provided question 
on any sort of a reference question. So one type is a chapter reference, which is um, the prompt consists of material that occurs in more than one chapter um, and only once in a chapter, right? Right, right. In in the current chapter being asked from, the quizzer is provided with that book and chapter and then they are given the prompt. So it's, it's basically, it's like today's chapter reference, um, except it is, there is no interrogative word. It is just um, a phrase from the material. And then when the quizzer answers it, they just have to fulfill, is it surrounding phrases? Is, is there a way that you've defined it, Griffin? So basically, whatever word is not initiated by the quiz master needs to be of the prompt needs to be provided by the quizzer along with all of the words of the reply sort of depends on if you're answering verbatim or synonymous we'll get to that in a little bit but essentially from wherever that phrase starts you need to then quote to the end of the verse Um, and that's that's ultimately the ideal reply so in this case um Technically, the quizzer is not forced to know what the exact phrase is that is the reason that this has to be a chapter reference Um, the way that they do in age two. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yes, they don't. They're not absolutely required to know what the phrase is. Um, I would say that studying lists of chapter unique phrases is still going to be extremely valuable. So I think having that knowledge will make you a better quizzer, but it is not a minimum requirement requirement. But at the same time, I'd say in A2, it's not a minimum requirement either. Right. So now I'm going to go to what I think is potentially the most interesting and probably the sub, the, the subtext or the, um, I don't know how to phrase it. It's the, The consequences, that's a negative word, but the consequences of this decision for age three, I think, can be perceived pretty negatively. Um, But let's talk through them. So we're going to talk about scoring. So scoring is um, we're losing the zero. So there's no 20, 10, 0, 30, 40. It's just zero, one, two, three, four type um, numbering. Let me find scoring. So... To talk about scoring, we have to talk about the components of a query. A query has a base subtype. You can think of that as a question type, um, like a phrase question, which is an interrogative, or a chapter reference, which is a chapter reference. Um, but it also has, a, in addition to the base subtype, a quizzer-selected subtype. Um, and this one, is something one that – One or more. Yeah. And this is something that doesn't really exist well, it doesn't exist explicitly today. It exists in small amounts because if a quizzer is jumping on a chapter verse reference question, it is not just a quote question. Um, it's like a combined quote and interrogative, but you have to know it really well, so better than you might um, have to know an interrogative. So there's all these kind of qualities where – Um, it's parts of these questions and in some senses easier in some senses more difficult where in age three, the quizzer gets to very specifically say, I want to take on this level of challenge by a quizzer selected subtype. And those different levels of challenge come with different levels of points where in age two, you're either correct or you're not. You implicitly are picking that challenge via the question type 
um, that you jump on. Like, there's lots of components, right? Early quiz, late quiz, jump, um, the question type that you jump on, other stuff. Um, but in H3, you get to, you have the ability to select it very specifically. So one of the quizzer selected subtypes, kind of the main one, is can I just boil it down to synonymous versus verbatim? Are those kind of the two in that realm? Well, yeah, and then there's open book and and with references sort of an, is frosting on the cake. So it may be a good idea before you jump into scoring to actually talk through really quickly the base types and then the base subtypes and then talk th- then you can apply the quizzer selected subtypes and synonymous is the default um but we can kind of start by maybe comparing these to what people are used to in a2 and then kind of adjusting from there because there there is a, a, a significant amount of call it a2 inspiration that went into a lot of this right so i think the easiest ones are the ones that are almost identical there is quote and there's finish so a quote the quizzer is given the reference to a verse and they have to finish it, um, finish that verse. And so that is, I think, almost identical to age two. There's just no multiple verse option. It is a single verse. Um, is there a local option to modify that? So kind of. So, well, okay, actually, yes. And so kind of to the first thing and absolutely yes to the second thing. So let's do it backwards. So a quote can be, so one of the, we're kind of jumping ahead here, but so uh, yeah, one of the base subtypes is quote. It is very similar to quote in A2, you you know, quote Acts chapter one, verse two, whatever. And um, the response or the I- ideal reply, in fact, is the text of that verse. Um, as a quizzer, you can add a quizzer selected subtype of with reference where normally if you don't do that the reference is not required actually no i take that back sorry i'm confusing myself that's so with reference is not is not addable by a a quizzer for a quote it is addable to a finish sorry i should have been uh, clear about that so a quote question in a3 is very similar to a2 with the exception though that if the quiz master quiz magistrate sorry doesn't complete the full reference number you are not required to so if it's acts chapter you know 1 verse 8 verses 18 or something like that you don't have to say the teen uh to be counted correct um the you do however have to if it is 18 you do have to quote 18 and you cannot quote eight or anything else (laughs) you you have to be in the verse and stay in the verse to be able to be counted correct that's a context limitation Uh, but other than that it's very very similar to um, a quote question from from a2 and i think if the quiz master if the quiz magistrate doesn't finish the reference the quizzer doesn't have to finish it themselves that's a difference from a2 that i think people might raise an eyebrow at like, Hey, don't we want the quizzer to have to specify the verse. But if you really, if you push a little bit harder, if you need the quizzer to vote to quote 17 verse 17, um, and the quizzer says 16, but then quotes the text of 17. Well, they were wrong first because we're, you can't, um, look into the quizzer's intent and say like, Oh, they misspoke because they really quoted the correct text of the verse, but just said the wrong verse number. So at the end of the day, what they say is, um, I mean, while it can be used as a ruling in age two, it's really irrelevant and we don't want to use it as the basis for a ruling because we need to, even if you say the right verse number, you have to get all the text of it anyway. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's the important part. So like it's you know, like why do we need you to finish it? Yeah, that's very true. I would look at a lot of these both base subtypes and quizzer selected subtypes as what are we trying to test with these subtypes? We are not trying to test all kinds of material knowledge with each individual type, right? So a quote uh, subtype, uh, base subtype, is not trying to test a quizzer's reference knowledge. The There are other questions where the quizzer can optionally add uh, a, a with reference. So like a finish, we'll get to that in a little bit. They can optionally add with reference, which then gives them the opportunity to be tested over reference, uh, the reference knowledge. There's also a cross-reference type, right? A cross-reference subtype, right? So there are other question types, uh, and I should, I, I keep saying question types, a, a, a question type, and it's not really a question type. It's a query type, which is itself a combination of multiple subtypes, right? When you have a fusion of certain subtypes, some of them test, each one tests a different structure of, of what you're memorizing, right? So some of them are more purely material oriented. Some of them are more purely reference oriented. And a lot of them are a mixture of the two. Right. And in H2, the types are kind of lock, very locked into what they're testing, right? right? Right. There's there's two types that test word perfect, and the other ones, you don't have to be word perfect. And then there's really two types, quote, and CVRs that test any knowledge of the reference. The rest, um, it's largely it doesn't help you to know the reference. Like, like if you know the reference, you don't get any extra points, right? It, it maybe helps you get the correct answer, but that's not really part of the test. Um, so jumping back to H3, base subtypes, we talked about quote, which is very similar to an H2 quote. There's finish, which is also very similar to an H2 finish. Uh, the prompt of this query is the first five words of a verse. There's no finish this, finish this in the next, or finish these two verses, uh, but everything else um, all of the things that I want to talk about in this moment are the same as an H2 finish question. There one, is one slight difference. A finish question in A3 can be more than five words. Uh, basically five is the minimum and it must start at the beginning. And what's the difference? Well, so like in, in A2, it's really only five words. It, 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 you wouldn't have as like a six word finish question. You mean of what the, the quiz master can read as part of the question? Right. Isn't it limited to the first five words in A2? It, it Oh, sure, sure. And so in H3, it's the first five, uh, or I'm seeing now, or more, which right, or I more. guess is a difference. But um, I don't think anyone should care because at the point where you're hearing five words, then it doesn't really matter if you hear six or seven. <laughs> right, right. The reason it's or more is just in, in a case where if you had two verses where the first five words are the same, you can still ask a question, a, a finished uh, question. And I keep saying question. It's I need to break that habit. They're not questions, they're queries. You can still ask a, uh, the quiz magistrate can still call a finish query on a verse where the first five words of that verse are the same first five ver words of some other uh, verse. You just have to keep going. So we've talked about quote and finish that are quite similar to H2 quote and finish. There's H3 phrase, which is very similar to H2 interrogative. Um, there is a prompt, which is very similar to an, the interrogative question uh, from H2. And then a quizzer has to 
um, finish a phrase or to the end of the verse, but it's functionally extremely similar. It, um, I, yeah, I don't want to talk about the, the other things yet. Well, yeah, and I'll talk a little bit about the differences. So you can think of the phrase uh, query as being an interrogative question without the interrogative word, but the interrogative question, because it is a question, there is a defined end of what you may be required to respond with. Whereas in A3, the phrase prompts you to respond with everything that is remaining within that verse, right? Now, in practice, that's very, very similar to A2 in practicality, but there will be cases where A2 will actually require less information than A3 will for a phrase versus interrogative. Sure. There's in H3, there's a chapter reference, which is almost identical to an H2 chapter reference. The same caveats apply that Griffin just said about phrase questions apply to chapter references, right? They go to the end of the verse, um, which might mean that they are on average a little bit longer than at least the, the answer portion a little bit longer than in H2. And then the fifth and is it final type currently final? It is the final base subtype. Yeah. So the fifth and final base subtype is a cross reference, which is really pretty similar to a chapter verse reference. Um, but it definitely has differences. So in a cross reference question, the quizzer will be provided, um, a prompt of a phrase that occurs multiple times in the material and they get to give references, um, that, which is the location of where those occurrences occur. They can say as many as they want, and then they're they're wrong when they give um, an incorrect one, but all of the correct references they've given up to that before then count. And so it does test knowledge of, hey, this phrase occurs more than once, and do you know where it occurs? Which we, we very, very indirectly test in H2 via chapter verse reference, right? If you're giving, um, therefore... It is written that the what you do know that therefore it is written that the occurs elsewhere. You're not required to give the reference of where it occurs, but you do have knowledge that that it occurs elsewhere. Um, so that's a little bit of part of the test. But in H3, it's very, very explicit as part of the cross reference type because you have to give those other references. And again, you can give as many as you want. Um, it's just when you give an incorrect one, you're you're answering period stops. And if you had already given a correct one, you get some points and we can get into the specifics of that later. So those are the five base subtypes. Um, there's no explicit multiple answer, um, but it could exist as part of a phrase question, um, which would be similar to if we asked multiple answers as interrogative questions, which they are, but we just didn't say that they have more than one answer because at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. Um, if we're telling you that it has multiple answers, it lets you narrow it down in advance, which has pros and cons. Um, but that's not happening in H3. There is no chapter verse reference question. Some of that, um, test is, happens within a cross reference question and some within some of the other types when you add the quizzer selected subtypes, which we'll get to soon. There's also no H2 situation question, which is probably the that's the one question of like a feel and structure that just wholly doesn't exist in H3. Right. 
So those are the base subtypes. The quiz master will announce them. They'll say, hey, query two is a, you know, chapter reference. Um, and then they'll read the prompt. Quizzers ring in. And then whoever wins wins that jump, they get to potentially select a base subtype. Um, no, sorry, a quizzer selected subtype. Now, the default Quizzer selected subtype, if the quizzer says nothing, is synonymous, which means it is very similar to how we treat um, non-word perfect answers today, where you do have to get um, a lot of the meaning, um, but you don't have to have every word word perfect the way you do on an H2 finish or quote question. Um, there are some additional definitions around what what is allowed to be correct in um, that default synonymous quizzer selected subtype. But I'm not sure that that's terribly interesting here. Like in H2, all the quiz masters are left to like decide themselves, hey, do we think this is synonymous um, or not? And H3 puts some more objective guardrails around that um, to both make lives easier on the officials, but also ensure greater consistency to quizzers. Yeah, I'd actually, I'd, I'd go so far as to say fully objective. Um, so essentially synonymous, like all of the, the, well, not all, but a good chunk of the table talk with officials at high level meets is around, well, they said this, the actual words are this, is that close enough? Like, are they in context or not? Sometimes that's difficult to decide. Um, but then usually that gets decided fairly quickly. And then it's the, well, was that close enough? Is that good enough to count them correct? How to adjudicate that is all objectively defined in the third age rulebook under the synonymous banner. It basically describes hypernyms and hyponyms, what kind of synonymous is acceptable, not acceptable. Trinity persons, similar to the Trinity rule, that, that all exists under synonymous, and it's all objective so that there is no question. Uh, now, it requires that uh, you have a databank of synonymous words, um, and there's some technology that comes along with this, so that the quiz magistrate is able to look up things and say, well, these are the words objectively that can be used instead of this word in this particular place. All of that is predefined for the quiz magistrate so that essentially every ruling is ideally, and, and I think we can probably get pretty close to this unless a quiz magistrate makes a mistake, every ruling across every quiz magistrate across every room for every quiz is the same, right? Um, so therefore it's, it's fair in, in that regard. Um, the there's a lot of complexity around how that works but as far as a quizzer is concerned you should basically never need to care right so don't even but like if you want to if you're curious go ahead and read the rules right like certainly uh, i'm not advocating that you remain ignorant of the rules but rather if you were completely ignorant of how synonymous is magistrated it really makes no difference uh, for you as a quizzer. Essentially, you, you're going to try to memorize in whatever translation that you're you're focusing on. You're going to try to memorize word perfect. You're going to try to memorize verbatim. And then when you recite your response, you're trying to get as close to verbatim as possible. You don't have to worry about how that's getting evaluated. The quiz magistrate worries about that. You're just, you have a confidence level of knowing that whatever you say is going to be objectively ruled upon. 
Right. So I think I kind of need to dive into all of the quizzer selected subtypes. Um, So synonymous is the default one. A quizzer can select open book, which means they get to have the material and have it open while they answer. They can select verbatim, which means of any of the query-based subtypes, they can be attempted to be answered verbatim by the quizzer. So that's something that we can't do right now in H2, right? Um, one quizzer kind of stumbles through an interrogative question but gets enough of the meaning and is kind of correct. Another quizzer says all the words word perfect in five seconds. They're both kind of correct and get the same number of points in H2. Um, but in H3, um, that the, the, the scoring can be different because the quizzer gets to select kind of the level of challenge that they want to go for. And then the last quizzer selected subtype is with reference, which means that on all types where um, the reference wasn't given, so um, on, well, so on phrase questions, finish questions, and chapter reference questions, the quizzer can opt to give the reference and they get additional points. That's not something that you can do, right, on an interrogative question in age two. Um, so I guess my first question for you, Griffin, is why would we give any points for open book quizzing? Um, wouldn't that just make it way easier to score in age three than um, it is in age two? It's very, well, yeah, it's, you're 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 absolutely correct. Having the ability to score points with open book is making something possible in age three that is not possible in age two, right? So somebody who shows up to a meet having memorized absolutely nothing, like truly has never even read the material, hasn't even heard the material, shows up to an age two meet, they are effectively a chair warmer. They they can't they can't answer anything, right? Unless they guess and get lucky, there there's just there's really no way they can participate. With open book, they can. However, they're participating in such a way that that's that's hyper limited. So they are they're they're limited on points. Uh, so if you answer open book, you are capping yourself to one point only uh, for the query. And if you answer open book, you are also limited on the number of queries you're allowed to trigger for. So similar to age uh, two, where you have quiz outs in age three, we have what are called ceilings. You have a certain number of ceiling. You have a certain number of queries that once you answer correctly, you are no longer eligible to trigger for queries. Right. Um, so again, that very similar to age two in age three, that is four queries. Once you hit four queries, you have, you have hit your ceiling uh, four queries. Correct. You have hit your ceiling. You're done. But if you answer anything open book, your ceiling drops from four queries to two. Now, if you've already done two queries and your third query is an open is, is open book, then your ceiling is, is at that point, right? So basically once you hit two or more queries, the last one being open book, you're, you've hit your ceiling and you're done, right? So there's certain limitations on open book there. So why on earth would we do this? Well, number one, we want to encourage people to show up to quiz and to a quiz meet and actually participate in quizzing. And part of this is a devious um, open conspiracy to get people hooked on quizzing, right? So when you talk to somebody who's never heard of quizzing before and you say, this is really cool, most of the time 
uh, you will encounter a blank stare and a confused look and maybe a, you know, a squiggled up face of revulsion and, and confusion and be like, that sounds weird. That sounds boring. I want no part of this. Right. And then you say, no, 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 no. Come to the meet anyway. Try to enjoy it. Right. And the problem that we've got in age two is you've got to essentially invest before you can have an experience that gives you the taste of the reward, right? So you have to invest memorizing and then you show up and maybe you get lucky. If you've memorized like two, three, four uh, verses, then you show up, maybe you get lucky. You're able to answer one or two of them that can work kind of well as a rookie at the beginning of a season. But like, let's say you're halfway through a season and you want to invite somebody new to join quizzing. It's really hard for them to get into it right it's 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 putting a barrier to entry with open book you're providing the opportunity for somebody who's never heard of quizzing can literally show up the day of the meet not know anything have a, a their reference material with them answer a question or two open book uh, sorry here i go again answer a query uh open book here and there gain a couple of points these are real points they they're they're not a lot of points but they are some amount of points greater than zero that actually contribute to your average. It contributes to your team and it contributes potentially to a win. And so you're, you're legitimately participating, but you're not participating in a, in a significant massive way. So it would be very similar to, you know, if I've never played a game of golf and Scott invites me to go play a game of golf. Um, let's say he wanted to laugh at my amazing inability to swing a club at a small little white ball <laughs> um, because I'm sure I would have no ability whatsoever. But the idea being that I can, I can do it. Like I can go out there and I can swing and maybe I score some, you know, it takes, you know, he's, he, he hits par and I hit, you know, 17 over par or something like that. But we can both go out and enjoy the game of golf, right? That's essentially what open book is for. So that, let me hit the, the various scores of the subtypes, and then I'll hit you with, I think, just about the is the main difference between age three kind of competitive scoring and age two competitive scoring. So in age three, um, if you get a query correct of, of the synonymous quizzer selected subtype, it's two points. Um, if you get a query correct, but you used open book, it's one point. If you get a query correct, but you selected verbatim you get four points if in addition to any of those well not open book um if in addition to synonymous and verbatim you decide to provide the reference and you are correct on that as well you get an additional point and then i believe if a quizzer gets their ceiling queries correct without an error they get an extra point is that correct that's correct yeah so in age two if you think about the best quizzers in a district when they're quizzing at a district meet, it is assumed that they will quiz out in every quiz um, or the vast majority of them. And so really the name of the game for that quizzer is error avoidance. How can I get my assumed quiz outs but minimize the number of errors that I um, have? So your whole basis is around error avoidance because – you are. It is fairly easy for you to access the maximum number of correct questions that you can. In H three, it's not necessarily um, easier or harder for you to access. Well, if you select synonymous 
or well, actually, if you select open book, it's far easier for you, for you to get to your maximum. Um, queries correct, but really, eight in H three, the name of the game is points maximization, not error avoidance. And so, like, let's take H two. In a given district quiz, the best quizzer in that quiz is probably going to quiz out with that error, and they're going to get ninety points. And then you're going to have a couple quizzers from other teams that are not their best quizzers. But at the end of the quiz, when some of the best quizzers are quizzed out, they will win some jumps, maybe kind of stumble around an interrogative question, um, but get one or two correct. And so they might get 40 points in that quiz. And you're the top quizzer who quizzed out in on question seven without error got 90 points. So that's 90 versus 40 in that quiz. Well, in an age three quiz, uh, that same kind of middling average quizzer who gets two correct, they're probably going to choose synonymous. They're not going to want to try to try their hand at verbatim or with reference. And so they're going to get four points, basically the same as their 40 in H2. But that top quizzer, if for their four questions, if they answer two of them synonymous, one of them verbatim, and one of them verbatim with reference, and they don't make an error, they get 18 points. <laughs> And 18 versus 4 is a massive difference in spread. And so it shows that, sure, if if it's easier for a quizzer in H3 to get a one point, or I hesitate to say two point because I think the synonymous subtype are probably just as easy to get as um, an interrogative question in H2. Uh, but let's say for the purposes of argument that it's slightly easier. Sure, you can rack up one and two point correct question scores easier than you could get those kind of 20 20 point questions just any correct question in age two but really if you are a good quizzer you don't want to be messing around with one and two point questions you want to as much as possible try to get three points four points five points um, and then on cross references every single correct reference you provide is a point so i don't know if there's a maximum there um, but it could potentially be you know more than four yeah, so this is the interesting thing about uh, uh, cross-references. So cross-references, because of the material, this is not something that's designed in the rulebook. This is just a reflection of material and probability theory. There is a long tail that gets really, really high, but also very, very, very narrow. So the vast majority of cross-reference questions will come in with a number of references that are at the minimum of whatever the cross-reference uh, setting is set for. So for right now, the setting is set at two. So in other words, if there is a cross-reference question where a phrase, right, that happens in two or more locations, it is eligible to be a cross-reference question. The vast majority of cross-reference questions are have two references. And then three is net is is much lower, but those exist. Four is much lower, but those exist. And you imagine it getting lower and lower and lower as it gets higher and higher and higher, right? But there are situations where there are, uh, depending upon where we set the dials, um, and, and I, I call these like settings or dials, basically the minimum phrase count, word phrase count, and and minimum uh, length of phrase for the cross-reference, you can end up potentially in situations where you've got seven or eight uh, references available for a single cross-reference question. So those are going to be very, very 
small. Those will not exist very often, but there are cases where legitimately you can have a cross-reference show up where natively you could get, you know, six, seven points off of it if you got every reference on it. It would be very, very difficult to do that, but the potential is there. And another thing about H3 is there's no negative points for errors. And I think one common pushback would be like, well, then are errors free? Well, errors were never free, even if they resulted in no negative points. There's always a cost to making an error. Uh, You can't score points on this question, and you can't score points on the the next question. Um, And you might get negative points. And if you think about it, if I get an error in age two, it's negative 10 points. I'm proud, you know, if I'd gotten it correct, it's uh, 20 points most of the time. So that's a spread of 30. Well, in H3, um, when the potential is there to get three, four, five, six points for a correct question, the penalty of an error is not, well, it's nothing because I got zero points instead of negative one. It's, I was not able to access the greater upside of scoring that exists compared to the limited upside of scoring that exists in H2. So again, uh, H3 is not – while H2 is largely about error avoidance, H3 is about scoring maximization, not error avoidance. If you're attempting two questions, a quiz, verbatim with reference, and you get one of them right and one of them wrong, um, that's going to get you more points than if you had gotten them both correct choosing only the synonymous quiz or selected subtype. And that's definitely by design, right? Like if you attempt the harder challenge that requires greater studying, then, and you get it right, we want to reward you um, for show, for being able to show that. Or in H2, we, we don't require you to show it a lot of the time, even if you happen to know it, um, which is how you get into, like, say, internationals meet, where most of the people on most of the interrogative jumps would get, you know, between 48 and 61% correct, and then it's just kind of largely luck which one, which jumps you happen to win. Like, don't get me wrong, there's there's absolutely skill involved. But there's just a massive amount of luck, and most people can get them right. Where in H3 it says, hey, it's less about can you get them right. It's can you accurately choose um, the most point-valuable quiz or selected subtype that you can get right. Because another interesting wrinkle is if I jump and I start answering synonymous, but then I'm like, wait, I think I know this verbatim. And then I say verbatim, does anything that I've said up to that point still like stand or is my reply kind of reset? My response kind of reset. Your reset. So yeah, this is a very important uh, uh, dive to uh, jump into. So if you, if you get called on, let's say you win the trigger, you win the, 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 the trigger indication for a particular query, you get called on by the quiz magistrate, you have a, an answer period or a response period. Um, it's 40 seconds, not 30. Slight change there. You get a little bit more time. And when you answer, or and I, it's not an answer, when you respond, if you say absolutely nothing, you are assumed to be responding synonymously. But if at any particular point you want to switch to something, you just have to say those keywords. You say like verbatim and essentially at that point, everything that you said prior is 
ignored and you're starting over. Now your timer doesn't start over, right? So if you spend 10 seconds, you know, talking or thinking and then say verbatim, well, okay, you have 30 seconds remaining to provide a verbatim answer, right? Anything that you said prior, even if it was verbatim, does not count, right? Uh, similar with a uh, with a with reference, right? If you add a with reference indication, you then have to provide that you have your timer still going to be able to do that. You can't undo a setting though. So for example, if I go, if I get called on and I start answering and I, and the first thing I say is verbatim and I start saying some words and then I say, Ooh, this is actually too hard. Synonymous. No, you can't do that. Once I've claimed verbatim, I cannot unclaim verbatim, right? Um, you, you can claim synonymous if you want to, but you don't need to. That is, that is just the default. That's where you start. Um, so you, you could say synonymous if you wanted to, but you don't have to. So because of that, it is, these are additional ways that make it difficult, right? So the, the easy side of getting some points absolutely is easier than H2, right? I can open book and get a point. I can't open book in age three in age two and get 10 points. That's not available to me. That's not allowed. Um, but I can sure open book in age three and get one point. But at the same time, if I want in age three to say verbatim with reference, I have to get a verbatim with reference. If I specify verbatim with reference, I get verbatim and I don't get with reference. I get zero. It's not, it's not additive. Um, if, unless I, it's not additive unless I get all of the quizzer selected subtypes that I specified. And so that requires quizzers to have a, a pretty good handle over what do I think that is the challenge that I want and then choose that correctly once they win a jump. Um, and so it's just additional ways f to extend quizzers upside. Like if you want to just jump, answer quotes and finishes um, synonymously or verbatim, like you can get your nine point quiz out very similar to your 90 point uh, h2 quiz out but the the implications of how that score um, compares relatively to your peers is going to be different in h3 because there is both um, greater ability at the downside to get one point and a greater ability on the upside to get more than a quote-unquote 90 perfect 90 quiz out yeah very true now one thing to keep in mind, all of these numbers that Scott are, is, is citing right now, these numbers are truthful numbers that are in the rule book right now. They may change slightly. So each of these numbers is a dial, right? So based on various playtesting, in particular playtesting uh, with folks who have never quizzed before, we want to, and, and, and groupings of people, uh, uh, play testing, right? Groupings of people that are, that are both particularly good and maybe, uh, open book together and seeing how they interplay. We will probably make some amount of small adjustments to some of these numbers. So for example, like a, the equivalent of a quiz out, when you hit your ceiling of four queries, Right now you get an extra point. Is it, do we keep that as one? Do we increase that to two? I'm, we'll see. I think we probably stick with plus one, but maybe there's a case to be made that is actually worth plus two. Because the thing about it is in age two, every correct answer is 20, right? And then you get half of that as your bonus for having a perfect uh, four. Well, in age 
three, your synonymous subtypes are worth two, your verbatims are worth four, your verbatim with references are worth five, and who knows what your, you know, uh, cross-reference questions are going to be. But like, if you do a handful of verbatims for your four queries, is one point really applicably accurate? Is that, is that the right incentive for getting to your ceiling. I think there could be a case made where two is potentially more reasonable uh, based on the on the incentive structure. We also have certain things. The other thing we need to talk about also are our bonus team points, right? Um, I, of course, I'm jumping ahead here. Maybe I, I should park that. Scott probably has other things before we get to bonus team points, but those things also exist as well. Yeah, I could totally see this is probably too complex, but really what you want for your quiz out without air bonus to be some percentage of the points scored, right? So maybe it's um, 10% and then you round to an integer or something, right? So if I scored, you know, between six and 14 points, then my quiz out without air bonus is one. But if I scored 15 or over, my quiz out without air bonus is two, yeah. right? Or if I if I scored... Um, well, there's no, there's no quiz out with error bonus if I get three open book questions, right? Right. Yeah. Any um, open book question invalidates the bonus. But actually that reminded me of a big question I have for you. So in H2, there's the concept of incorrect information. So if the question is like, who was there? And the answer is Peter. If I jump and say, Jesus, um, <laughs> I'm incorrect immediately. Now in age three, there is no notion of incorrect um as far as like information that i've provided right there's only um not correct yet or out of context yeah that's that's true because we're not cross-reference yeah it's true for for phrases and for um chapter reference uh base subtypes because we're not asking questions we're we're providing prompts and expecting replies or responses that are I- hopefully close to the ideal reply. So there isn't any, there's no such thing as incorrect information because you're not, well, I guess, okay. Incorrect information is when you go out of context. It is, it's essentially synonymous with going out of context because you can't provide information that is wrong because we're not asking you for an answer. We're asking you to quote the verse right sure but in an age three phrase question there is no context right no there is there's context in phrase sorry you're right sorry <laughs> you're right in phrase there is no context but there is context in chapter reference uh quote and finish so com- so like looking at an age three phrase versus an age two interrogative it's probably way easier to get an age three phrase base subtype correct synonymously than it is to get an age two interrogative question correct kind of it's it's hard to say right so on average your phrase base subtype in a three the required reply the ideal reply will be longer than the answer required in a two probably however you can't go out of context um, and you can also provide inf- uh, incorrect, quote unquote, information in A3 that in A2, if you were to provide that, would be you would be counted incorrect. So I'd say, yeah, probably it washes out to mean that A2 is slightly harder, but it's not 
it's not super clear cut because I think the 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 information that you need to provide in a phrase in A three is more than what you would have to provide in A two. Sure. And so I think while I think it would be correct to say that an age three phrase question is easier to get correct synonymously than it is to get an age two interrogative question correct. But I wouldn't say that that is bad um, because it's not it's not lowering the bar, right? It's it's lowering the bar on this. Like, I mean, I guess you could compare the two, but you could also argue that there shouldn't be any comparison because they're just different. <laughs> um, and I think, again, the dynamics of scoring in H3 is all about points maximization. And so the fact that it's relatively easier to score um, a 20 or a 2 than in H2 is almost irrelevant because 3s, 4s, 5s, 6s exist in H3 and 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s don't exist in H2. Um, and so... Sure, it's marginally easier for me to get this H3 phrase question correct synonymously, but I am very specifically choosing to limit my upside by only going for synonymous answers um, on phrase questions in H3 because H3 chapter reference, quote, and finish come with context. So sure, I guess in H2 we call quizzers incorrect for giving incorrect information on chapter references, quotes, and finishes, but largely we're just calling them wrong for being in a different verse, which is we have the exact same ability in H3. And actually the, um, the definition for out of context is more stringent in H3. Well, it's, it's more objective, certainly, um, or rather it, it, it is objective <laughs> versus in H2, it's not objective. Right. It is objective. And I think in almost every way we'll end up resulting in more stringent out of context um, rulings than in age two. Yeah, probably. I think, I think that's probably true. Not, I wouldn't say it's going to, I don't think it's going to be significantly true, but I think it will be a little bit true. How's that? I think the, the other thing to keep in mind here, we haven't really talked about it in this episode, but in previous episodes we have, we want to kind of, you know, step back from, from a lot of these details and say like, when you're looking at any one of these details, there's all kinds of, well, that's different than what I'm used to. Therefore, I don't like it. Why did you choose that way, you know, in this particular detail? And the problem is you can't really look at individual details like that. You have to look at the rules as a tapestry to say, like, what is this tapestry trying to convey? It's like looking at a tapestry in a, in a castle, right? And if you get really, really close to the, the fibers, you can see individual fibers but then you're like, well, I can't, I can no longer see the image that these fibers make up. You have to take a step back and look at many of the fibers in context and then say, okay, uh, now I can actually see what this tapestry is actually trying to convey. What we're trying to convey here with these rules is the a motivation, an overt trickery of, of convincing, uh, conning, if you will, uh, quizzers into memorizing more material, right? That's, that's, our, you know, our stated goal. We're trying to encourage the most number of people to memorize the most amount of scripture. And we want to reward people at every, at every skill level, including zero, right? Uh, we want to reward people for merely participating, but at the same time, every person that contributes more in, in terms of investment 
needs to be rewarded more in terms of points, right? And so if you risk more, you should be rewarded more. If you invest more, you should be rewarded more. And so, yeah, the if you look at, at a, an individual base subtype or an individual quiz or selected subtype, and that's, that's not going to really relate one-to-one with a2 it will relate somewhat it's highly inspired uh by by h2 but it's not going to be a one for one and why certain choices were made in the 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 narrowest context of either the base subtype or the query selected subtype may be invisible it may only become apparent when seen in the tapestry of the whole and then there are some other um byproducts of the age three structure that are pros, but maybe not direct pros to quizzers. Um, like the reduction of quizmaster prompts or elimination of them means that we can have, it is easier to find quizmasters, right? Which could mean easier to have more often meets or to have more quizzing at meets. Um, there's also more, a I think there's no subjective rulings by by a quiz magistrate, which means th- the exact same thing, right? Um, the bar for being a, an official can be lower, which means it's easier to logistically to have more meets and more quizzing, um, which doesn't directly benefit quizzers, right? It benefits those planning a meet, but it indirectly does benefit quizzers. Um, there was something else that I was thinking of. Oh, because the questions are not constructed as an actual question, um, there is a query with a prompt. They can theoretically be written by a computer, which means that um, potentially the time spent writing and editing questions just goes away. There will never be a, an asked invalid question. <laughs> um, and you can immediately write questions from any material that is presented to you of any version um, immediately. And sure, there are some rough edges where it's really nice to be asked the multiple answer, Jesus Christ is the same when, right? It feels really good. It's clear. Um, Where as an H3, you're just read a phrase and you're finishing that phrase, even on a phrase question or a chapter reference. Um, And I think, and I think in a lot of ways that feels less good because, Hey, there's this clear question that we can ask of the quizzer. Why not phrase it as such? But that is kind of masking the fact that in A2, it is a verbatim sport, meaning we're just supposed to insert one interrogative word um, and that's it. Like we're not asking thematic questions or trivia questions. At the end of the day, you're, you, you have to answer what exists in the material. So it's kind of almost a phrase question underneath the hood with a little bit of window dressing that – is applied often inconsistently. I would I would amend what you said very very slightly. You said theoretically possible. Uh, it's no longer theory. Um, so <laughs> now it's not public yet. Um, but I've I've uh, over Christmas. Uh, I uh, well the Christmas break. I think I was uh, wrapping it up a little bit a couple of days after Christmas. Uh, I have, uh, I have software now that actually auto generates, uh, every query of every type, uh, of every base type and subtype. Um, and I am currently working on code to do that for quizzes. And, uh, it's all, I mean, if you're a, a tech junkie, this is all written in JavaScript, so it's just going to run in any browser that you want. And it's actually not that it's not significant. There's, there's a bunch of 
rules and procedures and and the algorithm that that needs to get codified a little bit uh in the in the rule book to make sure that it's uniform uh but we and I, we i us were writing code in parallel with writing the rule book and both interacted with each other to actually make something actually holistically possible right so at this point what you can end up doing, we've got a, a system, again, it's unpublished, I'm working on it, but ultimately it's a system where you describe by just typing in what you want, a series of references. Um, I, want a qu I want a quiz on Acts chapter one through 13, James chapter one and two, but only through verse uh, eight of chapter two. And I want Romans chapter one, right? Um, and then you put that all together and then you want to say, well, I, I want to use the NIV, the ESV and the NASB go. And it takes about 0.125 seconds or so 0.13 seconds. And it will generate a material database for you. And sure enough, all your questions now can be auto-generated uh, forever. And so from a coaching perspective, if you want to slice and dice your material, if you want to do things like, well, I, I want to add half of one chapter for this practice, you know, this coming weekend, uh, but but have that be weighted at like 60% relative to 40% from other parts of the material, you can absolutely do that. Um, and it's And it's trivial to be able to do. There's no investment that you have to worry about in terms of writing and uh, questions and curating questions and marking questions that have errors on them. There's there's literally no errors on questions anymore. It, it's not possible. So I think it could be that if you took literally the most like the best ever human constructed age two question set that is virtually free of errors um, and written on phrases that flow really well to the way humans speak English, that when compared to a computer-generated age three question set, it could be superior in a lot of ways um, around like kind of how it sounds coming out of the mouth or the reasonableness of answering like a question with its answer and not blindly to the end of the verse, things like that. Would you in general kind of agree with that vague statement? Yeah, I think so. I think if, if you invest a tremendous amount of human capital into building really, really high question sets, I think those question sets in terms of questions and answers flow better than if you don't invest that time and you're asking questions and answers. The, 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 where this sort of analogy breaks down with age three though, is we're not asking questions and that's where it starts to get, it's really hard to compare. Like, so in terms of call it a, a, a query slash questions, awkwardness, a phrase queries, awkwardness doesn't really exist. It, it, do, it doesn't really have awkwardness because it isn't trying to be grammatically correct. It's just a sequence of words, right? Whereas a question in A2 is purporting to be or pretending to be to some degree 
uh, grammatically correct. It's expected to be grammatically correct to some degree, right? It's a, it's supposed to make sense, not be confusing, uh, all sorts of other things, right? And so as a result of it, it requires a, you know, if you're, if to do it on a single question is not particularly that hard, but to do that consistently of high quality across a four, five, six thousand question set, it, it requires a massive amount of, of investment time. Sure. So let's let's look at Hebrews one one that starts in the past. God spoke. You probably don't want an H three query starting on the past. God spoke because then it. I mean, you're asking a quizzer to locate it in the material, but you're asking them to locate it in like a nonsensical way, throwing away information. Right? Like the past doesn't make any sense without the word in. No, see, I don't. I don't think so. I, I agree in terms of a grammatical concept, absolutely, right. So if I'm, I'm if I'm asking you a question, dropping the word in doesn't make any sense. Like it would, it would be extremely awkward, right? But what I'm doing is not asking you a question in, in A3. I'm, I'm asking you a query, or I'm, I'm not even asking you anything. I'm providing you a prompt uh, for a query. That prompt is a sequence of words, and the expectation is I need to have enough words to be able to locate where that phrase exists in the material, and then to be able to recite the remaining part of the verse. So it's a very different, it's a very different universe. I mean, analogously, yes, a phrase query and an interrogative question are very, very, very similar, but they they have a very different culture, a very different um, accent to them. If if I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good word. Accent is probably the best way to describe it. A different of a, a, a different style certainly, but I think it's different than style. It's deeper than style. Sure. So here's the devil's advocate question: If at the end of the day you're trying to um, trick participants into memorizing um, verses and books of the Bible. Why would you potentially want to reward them for memorizing something that kind of makes no sense? <laughs> well, because you're not you're not memorizing that way. You're not you're not sitting down to a verse and memorizing uh, by dropping the first word. You're memorizing the verse in its totality, right? You're memorizing the first word, second word, all the way through the last word, and you're trying to memorize. Ideally, I want to try to encourage you to memorize every word, and I want you to memorize the reference as well, because granted, the reference is not divinely inspired, but it is the mental hook to be able to line these things up. It's also the reference point when you are later, as an adult, dealing with apologetics, uh, per being able to quote a verse synonymously is wielding the sword of the spirit. Uh, being able to quote it verbatim is wielding the sword very well. And being able to quote it verbatim with reference is wielding a flaming sword. Like, like it's, it's, uh, it's like another level, you know, sort of thing. And so like there, the idea is I want everybody to memorize every word, regardless of how, a verse might happen to be constructed. And one of the fundamental problems with age two is that you can't actually test that way. Uh, the way certain verses are constructed, the way the words are laid out, there are, it's rare, it's rare, but there are times where you just can't make a, a question out of a verse. Um, it just, it doesn't work. There are other times where you can 
make questions, but they're really awkward. Uh, and it's just the flow of the words. It's just really hard to actually make something that makes any kind of sense. Um, there are other times where certain questions are not legal uh, out of a verse, and therefore certain portions of that verse are never tested. And so if you analyze the content as a quizzer, you can discover, well, hey, because of the way these words are, are put together uh, in the original text, there will never be a question that actually covers this portion of this verse. But does a quizzer ever just say, well, I'm not going to memorize that portion of the verse, <laughs> right? I think, I think ultimately they will attempt to memorize the entire verse and only be tested on a portion of the verse. I think in age three, the, the goal is actually test them on everything. And it's not so much... It's, it's both testing them on everything, but also giving the reward out for full material memorization over optimizing for what can be converted into a question. Sure. And, and I'll see the fact that the test being on a potentially like nonsensical human English starting spot of a phrase doesn't incentivize memorizing starting at known nonsensical starting spots in a phrase. But you you still are not getting the value of a meaningful phrase being spoken aloud during a competition, potentially. Yeah, sure. But I would call that, I mean, yes. Uh, but I mean, how much of a negative is that relative to testing all of the material equally? And how much of that is valuable relative to the massive investment required for question sets? And then how much of that is a value calculation based on trying to get people uh, to uh, join quizzing, right? So, I mean, there's all kinds of dynamics involved here. Sure, sure, sure. And each one taken individually probably, like, is not the greatest argument, right? Like, testing each part of the material equally. I mean, even in H3, you're not, right? Because we have chapter references and um, cross-references. And then... In H3, you're going to have quotes and finishes on verses that are, you know, like we definitely don't want to get into the spiritually significant world, but like on verses that don't have a ton of useful meaning, right? We're sure. knowingly doing that because of other benefits that accrue. Right, right, um, right. But right. it doesn't, but, but there are like deficiencies relative to um, excellent humans constructing um, quote and quote these two and chapter verse reference you know, beautifully sculpted questions right, right. in age two. And part of this is also like when you're willing to let go of the aesthetic of a question and embrace the, the prompt of a query instead, there's, it's going to feel different. Oh, you know, it's just like going to a foreign country and you're trying to speak the language, right? You're, you're going to have an accent. It's going to take you a while to get accustomed to it. But the supreme value of it, the total net value of it in terms of completely other areas beyond the localized area of the tapestry make it extremely valuable. So like, for example, uh, in age two, it is effectively impossible to have a competition with multi-translation. Uh, but it's trivial to do this in in age three. Uh, and in fact, the, the software does this right now. Now, granted, again, this is alpha software. It's not published. All of the caveats apply. 
blah, blah, blah. But the, the idea is we are shaping up to a future where it is exceptionally trivial to one day prior to the meeting. Well, you really shouldn't do it that way for other reasons. But theoretically, practically, there is no technological or logistical limitation to adding a translation to a meet the day of the meet. Now, you don't want to do that for other reasons uh, because it makes it a, very difficult for certain quizzers to be able to prep in certain ways. Uh, but the idea is there is no logistical or practical technological reason why it can't be done. Right. So we've hit scoring. There's no negatives. There's no incorrect. There's open book, but there's all the upside. We should talk if about you... a, a, a distribution, right? So one thing in, in distribution, if you're looking at the rule book, um, this is under section 2.5, um, the, the query-based uh, subtype and translation distribution. So query, uh, quizzer-selected subtypes, there is no distribution of those because those are query-selected, right? So by definition, the query that, that triggers their indication first on a query gets to decide what quizzer-selected subtypes they want to uh, conform to, right? So those are kind of different. But in terms of query-based subtypes and translations, those are described objectively within the rulebook and are published prior to the quiz. And so you're going to know, uh, uh, you know, query number two is going to be of this particular base uh, subtype and this particular translation, right? And you're going to know this ahead of time for each query. It's not, you don't learn about it at the moment of that query. You know about what query seven is going to be <clears throat> before the quiz begins, right? So this provides an opportunity for intensive strategy uh, calculations, if, if you want to go that far, right? Um, the other thing to keep in mind here is A's and B's. So I got to be very careful about the language that I use here. So in age two, you have a question number, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 15. And then on 16, if there's an error, it goes to an, a 16A. And if there's an error, it goes to 16B, right? But if there's an error on 15, it just goes to 16, right? Off, you, off to the world you go. In age three, that begins on question one, right? And in fact, to make things uniform, and, I, and this is the other thing that I, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I, I want to make sure I'm explicit about this. Age three is not designed for age two quizzers. Obviously, we want age two quizzers to be involved in age three. We want it to be highly interesting to age two quizzers. But age three isn't for age two people. It is designed for the non-quizzed. It's designed for quizzers who are going to get involved in quizzing 20 years from now. You know, they, they, that sort of thing. So I just want to kind of state that. But going back to the translate, uh, sub, uh, base subtype and translation distribution, if on query one, there's an error. Query one, by the way, is not just query one. It's query one A. We literally start with the A question, right? If it's correct, then if it's answered correctly or responded to correctly, then you go to query 2A, right? And if it's correct, you go to 3A and so forth. If, however, on 
query 1a, it is uh, incorrect. Like the quizzer runs out of time, goes out of context, whatever it happens to be, says a, uh, wants to answer with referencing, provides the wrong reference, whatever it happens to be. If they're counted incorrect, then the next query is query 1b. 1b will be of the same base subtype as 1a. And similarly, 1c, right, would be if, if b is is uh, erred on uh, or is answered incorrectly, not answered correctly, then 1C will be of the same base subtype, same translation, right? So what ends up happening as a result of this is errors in age three do not take away opportunity from the other teams. And that's really important to understand. Like you, it is better not to pre- trigger right you you want to you want to find an optimal trigger speed and stick with that trigger speed and have discipline with that trigger speed because if you go a little bit too fast you lose out on the opportunity of of getting points but but unlike age two you're not progressing the quiz forward you're not actually taking away an opportunity for the other two teams uh because immediately on question or query one on your team's incorrect response, the other two teams still have an opportunity to gain points on query one. Right, so if you have an opponent that's amazing at quote questions, you can't err on a quote question on question five and burn it for them because it'll just go to, it'll go from 5A to 5B and they still have an opportunity and now you're not jumping on that one. Um, So I definitely like that. There's less, because I mean, H2 is weird in that we have question type minimums that have to, be asked on the, you know, question one and question 16, not 16A. But on questions one through 15, they could just go away because someone jumped on a tenth of a syllable. (laughs) And then they're effectively not asked to the participants. Um, And there's no, there's no scenario for that in age three, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pre-jumping for other, if, if, and I shouldn't say jumping because there's no jumping, it's triggers. But somebody triggering suboptimally too fast, like significantly too fast on another team does not influence your team in any way unless you decide to allow it to influence you, right? So trigger discipline is is very important. It is just as important in, in A3 as it is in A2, actually arguably more important in A3 than in A2. Um, it's just that somebody triggering way too fast on another team can't harm your team unless you allow it to happen unless you allow it to harm you by like altering your speeds in other ways yes but on but on that specific one jump by another team at a um, imprudent pace it has no ability to hurt you right exactly which i think is sweet because i think we've all been in prelim quizzes against teams that are fine to air in the district and then you look up and it's question 17 and there's like four correct questions total in the quiz. Um, because you know, if a team's willing to air a bunch on questions one through 15, you don't get them back. Um, and in H three it's, you're just racking up a bunch of zero points for yourself while then the other teams rack up one, two, three, four, five, six points a question, um, on, um, one B and three B and four C, mm-hmm. um, while, while you sit out. Right. And, and then, of course, why, why is that decision part of these rules? Well, that decision is part of these rules because that encourages memorization over 
uh, strat- I wouldn't even call it strategy, but the idea of like trying to take away a question from another team because you know that there's a quote specialist on it is a viable strategy in age two. And I don't want to reward that. I, re- I want to reward uh, memorization. Now, I also want to reward other kinds of stratagem, right? So like if if you're theorizing through what kinds of questions at what particular point of the quiz you want to have one quizzer of your team jump on versus another. And, uh, you know, are you going to, you know, question number four is going to be a quote question. Are you going to answer that with reference? Well, not, sorry. Let's say it's a finished question. Uh, finished question on question five. Uh, it's the quiz is, is about to start. You know, question five is going to be a finish. It's going to be on the tra- translation that you memorized from who's going to jump on that to what degree of speed with reference or not verbatim or not. Like these are all things that you can start doing some strategy around, uh, to again, like what Scott has been saying, optimize score achievement, right? <laughs> like, like try to squeeze out extra points from, from the system. Right. By getting an open book one pointer, sure, like if you're a quizzer that would normally be a seat warmer, it is a a positive change um, to be able to get one instead of zero. Um, But if you're a top quizzer, choosing open book is you are deliberately foregoing more points that you're leaving on the table. Um, and you don't want to be doing that in each three because it's about points maximization. Yeah. Now there is one very interesting wrinkle, um, with the open book stuff. So as we were talking about, let's say question number four is a, you know, finished question, right? And let's say somebody has worked really hard, uh, and is a, a really good finish expert, right? And you have somebody on your team who is pretty new, hasn't done a lot of memorization, but they're uh, but they they're willing to go open book, right? You may just elect to have a strategy where you say, "I want you to jump on such and such a number of syllables for this finish." Worst case scenario, they 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 win the trigger. They're not able to look up the information. They call open book. They're not able to look up the information fast enough. They get a zero, the other team jumps and gets the finish, but potentially your quizzer could be competitive to some degree at the trigger stage, potentially answer the finish, get one point. And yeah, it's one point as opposed to so much more if a different quizzer on your team was able to get it, but it's denial of that finish for the other team. And so in that way, you could you could definitely put that strategy together. Right. Um, so, yeah, right. And we did talk about that where, let's say a cross-reference comes up. If somebody can open book, get at least one of the references, they could deny an excellent quizzer the opportunity to get, you know, four, five, six, seven points uh, on that question. But you do have to successfully, you have to get it right. <laughs> Yeah, you book. have to get at least we, one of them right, which for cross-reference... Which is not guaranteed. Yeah, which it will, yeah, and an open book cross-reference is going to be very difficult. I mean, not impossible, totally possible, but an open book cross-reference is going to be very hard. An open book finish actually won't be that hard. That, that, that could be done fairly straightforwardly. Now, it's not going to be super easy uh, if, you've, if you're only getting like the first two or three words, 
but it is entirely within the realm of possibility uh, that you could answer that open book uh, via finish. A whole lot easier to answer it um, if you have the verse memorized, of course, but uh, but still a possibility. Right, and so you have to get it right um, to de- if you're if to successfully deploy the strategy of denying another team's excellent quizzer that upside um, of getting a ton on a cross reference. But at this, but there are repercussions to you, right? The quizzer that gets the open book correctly now has capped their ceiling at three, not four, and cannot quiz out without error. Um, two, well, potentially two. It depends on when they. It depends on when they go after the, the, um, uh, the open book. So, like, if you've got a quizzer who hasn't answered any queries yet correctly, if they answer their first query open book, their ceiling becomes two. Ah. Uh. Of like total types of total, total ty- of total, to- of total types. Right. So essentially let's say you're not going to use open book. Your ceiling is going to be four queries four correct queries, whether, you know, once you get to the fourth one, you can have any number incorrect, but once you get to the fourth, then you've hit your ceiling, right? If any particular query that you answer, you answer open book, you are capped at two queries maximum or that, query that happens to be beyond the two, right? So you could answer your fourth query as open book and that's your ceiling at four, right? You could answer your third query as open book and that would cap you at three. Uh, but if it is prior to that, you're going to get capped at two. Got Gotcha. And if you think about it, it does make sense because we're just wanting to cap the number of open book correct questions got while leaving it as a possibility. Right. And so if someone gets three questions correct, synonymous or verbatim, we have no need to now say like, well, you can't get the fourth open book or something. Right. <laughs> because th- there's nothing to cap yet. <laughs> you're getting, you're getting them all via, um, more excellent, like, uh, more challenging means. Right. Um, and then at the moment that you get an open book, you're both, you've both hit your ceiling, but also, um, you can't quiz out without error, even if you have quizzed out without error. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so I think a lot of it, a lot of the scoring just requires a different way to look at it, right? Because I, I mean, I think that's the best way I can sum it up is it's not about error avoidance. It's about points maximization. I'm fine taking an error if I'm attempting verbatim with reference on all four and I can get probably at least three in a quiz. Um, then it's going to be scoring wise relative to everybody else who's competing. It'll be worth it if I can study to the level to pull off that. And even though, oh, a 75% accuracy rate, you know, when in age two, your top quizzers in every district are at 90, 95% accuracy rate, it seems way worse, but it's because those quizzers are deliberately attempting a harder difficulty and ideally having a point spread to show for it that shows that your second best quiz in the district is far better than your seventh or your 11th. Whereas now we have a pretty constrained scoring spread and it's harder to see like, Oh, a quizzer averaging a, a 64 might be way different in ability to a quizzer averaging a 51. Right. Yeah. In age two scores bunch up toward the top and there's also a, at the, at the lower end of the spectrum, there's a, a filter. There's a there's a barrier to entry, right? Um, in age three, both of those things go away. So essentially, at the bottom end of the spectrum, it's pretty easy to put points on the board. Now, you may only put one or two or three, well, 
probably not three, you may only put one or two points on the board, but it's pretty easy to put points on the board. So going through a meet and keeping a zero is actually going to be unlikely, still possible, but unlikely, right? But at the upper end of the, of the scoring, the idea there is there's going to be wide, wide non-bunching, right? All of the bunching is just going to be completely removed and in fact expanded uh, to the point where somebody who is really, really good and somebody who is really, really good and a little bit more good they will not necessarily be very close to each other. Like the person who is a little bit good er will be significantly higher on points because they'll, they'll be able to squeeze out just a little bit more on a consistent basis. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about trying to squeeze points to maximize your points, uh, earned rather than avoiding, uh, errors. Now, I mean, obviously you want to avoid errors because if you err, then, well, that's zero points rather than any amount of points that you could get. But the goal is not avoiding the error. The goal is trying to squeeze maximal points from the system. Right. And I think that's another good way of pointing out that in H2, you have clumping around like a 90 at the top, and then you have a third to a half of your participants that average very close to a zero, if not an, a perfect zero. And in H3, there is supposed to be a larger spread, meaning there's less clumping at the top end because there's more ability to spread yourself out by trying harder and harder stuff. But at the same time, there should be a lot fewer quizzers close to that zero because it's easier to get low amounts of points. Right, right. Well, anything else you want to dive into? I think that's it for this. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about our third topic here. Um, This actually will go pretty quickly, but these are some things that Scott and I noticed that we have seen quizzers do on a, not all quizzers, but some number of quizzers uh, do on a fairly consistent basis. And we feel like this may be because coaches aren't telling their quizzers they should or shouldn't do certain things. And so we kind of, we wanted to go through this list and just say, you know, maybe coaches, quizzers pay attention to some of this stuff. So uh, how do you want to do this, Scott? Do you want to go back and forth or do you want to just kind of run through or what, what seems best here? Um, I mean, probably back and forth. Okay. You want to take the first one? Sure. So the first one is shut up when answering until you know what you're going to say. No commentary. So um, I think this is admitting that some amount of extemporaneous talking can kind of jog a quizzer's memory. But in general, there is no benefit to a quizzer to say like, all right, I've jumped. What is it that I'm going to say now? Hmm. I think that might be Matthew. I, you know, just like anything kind of mind wandering off the cuff, or even if it's of the, I mean, maybe even especially if it's from the material, but you're just really not sure. Um, you should, at least know specifically what you're going to say before you start talking. Um, But I think that this kind of goes with another, actually with the next bullet, if I can jump into that one, which is you shouldn't need a a quiz master prompt in age two um, for information. There should be no scenario where you are silent because the quiz master has been silent. (laughs) If, if there hasn't been a ruling yet, then you should keep giving information as long as it meets 
the criteria of the first thing, which is you should know what you're going, at least what you're going to say and not just kind of be rambling off the cuff. Now, I guess if you've decided, hey, I don't have any idea and I am intentionally going to ramble off the cuff, then I guess that's your best option. But it, um, but at least to be very, very decisive about that's what you're doing. Yeah, right. And what's interesting about these bullets is they are true both for A2 and A3, but maybe for slightly different reasons. So the, you know, shut up when you're answering until you know what you're going to say and don't provide commentary is, a, is, is true in both A2 and A3. It's probably more important in A3 a little bit than in A2, because in A3, there is an explicit rule that says everything the quizzer says will be considered uh, as a response by the magistrate. Whereas in Age 2, that rule isn't there, and you could make... I mean, it would be a terrible challenge, and I highly recommend nobody ever do this, but you could make the challenge in A2 that, well, they weren't answering, they were just mumbling to try to think of the answer. And it's like, well, then it's up to the quiz master in age two to determine, well, were they actually providing an answer? Were they just rambling? And an and interpretation is required. Whereas in A3, it's explicit. Any, any words out of the mouth of the quizzer that you can understand as a quiz magistrate, those are considered to be a response. So don't, ramble right um be, make sure that you're you're thinking about it it is better to stay silent and think of what you're going to say and then say that thing than to to ramble and of course in a2 scott is absolutely right the you you should not need a quizmaster prompt for information with one exception you do need a very timely prompt uh, in, in age two for chapter verse, ref well, cha uh, chapter verse and chapter reference questions, uh, for, uh, for what's your question. Other than that, yeah, like, like you don't need, you don't, you should not need prompts in, in age two, just keep providing relevant information in age three, there are no prompts. And so it's just sort of an admission of the fact that, yeah, other than providing what's your question on references, you don't need, you don't need prompts. Yep. So that's kind of two-parter, like know what you're going to answer before you start, but at the same time, staying silent for your entire answering period um, is guaranteed to end in an error. Right. Right. Well, the third one here is again, true in A2 and A3, slightly different reasons, but, but pretty close. So immediately repeat what, what the quiz master said, sometimes to yourself and sometimes out loud. Right. So, um, if whatever kind of question type it happens to be in A2 or query type in A3, whatever the uh, qu the QM said, just repeat it, echo it back, right? Uh, you can you can do it to yourself, you can do it in your head, that's fine, but make sure you get clear, kind of ground yourself in that before you continue. That's a really good habit that's there. And um, there is a little bit of a risk in doing a very, very little bit of a risk in doing this in age three. And it's so tiny that I think the benefits still outweigh the risk. But theoretically, if you repeat what the quiz master said, but you say it incorrectly and what you said is objectively out of context, you could be ruled out of context in that moment. Now, I think it's pretty unlikely that that's going to happen. The risk is very, very low. Um, and the benefits of repeating what the QM said is so high that you should just do it anyway. Right. And so 
um, there's just no downside to like at least <laughs> repeating what you heard. Right. Um, yeah. And I've seen quizzers forget what was said and then they're just kind of, you know, they don't have a chance from that point on, which is unfortunate. And so as much as even you don't, you don't have to say it aloud, you know, you can say it to yourself and maybe quizzers are more than we know. Um, but it's, it's a great thing to repeat to yourself. Right. Number four is answer. Always answer clearly directed to the quiz master. I think you could try to scheme up some way of answering kind of quiet where you know the quiz master is working really hard to hear you but if you say the wrong thing and they could barely hear you maybe they ignore it but if they hear what they think is right then they're less apt to ignore it i i can't imagine any way this actually works out for a quizzer on a <laughs> on an extended basis i i guess i could see a way of answering not into the mic but at the front of the stage specifically to the quiz master. So the other participants can't hear you. Um, but that's not the point of answering either. There's just, to me, I, I see no downside to answering loudly, clearly directed at the quiz master because either they can hear you or they can't. Um, and if they can't hear, hear or understand you, you're going to be incorrect. And if they can, you'll be judged on your answer, which I think is how you're judged anyway. So it just seems like you're giving yourself the best opportunity by answering loudly and clearly and directly at the quiz master. Yeah, exactly. Well, in an age three, it is very explicit objective in age three. The quiz magistrate has to hear it. If, if everybody in the audience hears it, if the quizzers on the stage hear it, um, you know, if, if people listening on live stream hear it, but the quiz magistrate doesn't, then it's, uh, it's incorrect, right? Well, not incorrect. It's, it's not yet correct. Right. Um, now granted, is there going to be a case where the quiz magistrate is so hard of hearing that everybody else in the world hears and the quiz magistrate does not, that's pretty unlikely. But if that were to be the case, if you had, you know, somebody who was a little bit not so great on their, their hearing and, uh, you weren't loud enough for them to hear, uh, that's, that's the mark, the marker there. And so it's, uh, it's, it's always a good idea to answer boldly, clearly, slowly. You don't have to blitz through your answers. Um, be precise, be clear, be loud enough, uh, and have a certain amount of diction so that, uh, everybody, especially the QM can, can hear. Yup. Is for you. Oh yeah. The next one. So be precise with your wording. Um, in other words, help your quizzers demystify what they're saying. So if a quizzer tells you that they want to jump faster, quote unquote, they're almost assuredly, they, they almost assuredly don't mean that they want to study, uh, the same jump faster and win more jumps, just air more. So I, Scott, you wrote this one. Can you describe a little bit what you mean by this? Most quizzers, unless they reach some experience level, will will use the words "I want to jump faster" to mean I want to score better. Mm, yeah, and and scoring better can can be combined of you know maybe you win very few jumps, but you always answer them perfectly, so you could win more jumps and actually um, score better. Or you win enough jumps, you just kind of air a lot. You're gonna have to study more. <laughs> And working with a quizzer to figure out, like, what is it that they actually want? How much time do they actually want to put in? Um, and help them be precise with their wording um, will be better for everybody. Because yeah. they often – they don't mean, well, I just want to win more jumps and I'm fine 
if they all become heirs. <laughs> Almost guaranteed that's not what the quizzer means. Right. And I mean, there's something to be said here. It's an important thing to be said that having full material memorization is a superpower in terms of speed, right? If you have nearly full material knowledge versus material knowledge, there is something, you know, a quantum leap of speed can happen without massive errors when you have, when you get to hundred percent material uh, or when you get very nearly to hundred percent material, because you can reliably jump on syllable counts, not on recognition. And that is, that is a, that is a jump superpower in a two. And in a three, it's the same thing. Now, even when you're talking about cross translation, you can gauge based on whatever translation it happens to be, you can gauge the number of syllables of the other translation, probably more like words that you need to wait through before you can get something uh, key enough to be able to answer in your own local translation. But these things are calculable. And so you don't have to think like, do I know this verse? You can say instead, do I have enough data yet to probably know this verse, right? And that's going to be based on syllable counts, word counts, uh, depending upon if you're talking about A2 all the time or A3 versus your translation, local or remote translations. Um, but ultimately, having full material allows you to be significantly consistently faster on your jumps or your triggers uh, than you would be otherwise. So if somebody is saying like, yeah, I want to be able to jump faster, look at these, you know, at the, at the top echelon quizzers, they're jumping so fast, I can never jump that fast. Part of that is, yeah, you get, need to memorize more, but a lot of that is getting to maximal memorization. When you get to, I don't know, it's probably not 100%, but what would you say, Scott, based on a scientific poll that you're just making up in your head, like better than 80%, better than 90%. There's some particular point where like you, you start to gain this, this speed superpower. I'm not really sure. Cause it, it would depend on talking about the, the specific target vector of question type and how much material and thing and list work and things. Sure. But in, in most scenarios, um, learning a particular part of the material um, better and deeper is going to result in better scoring than learning more um, in a, in a pretty weak way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So better to have say three or four chapters memorized verbatim with reference than having 10 chapters, mostly kind of reviewed kind of synonymous, but pretty weak. Um, it's far, far better to, localize that that knowledge now granted even better to have three or four chapters verbatim with reference and three or four chapters with synonymous capabilities uh but you get the idea uh deep is better than wide if you have to pick between the two and and this is on coaches to help the quizzers really fig like work through this because you know, I've seen lots of quizzers jump on something that you can tell they kind of know, but not well. And then they just muddle through it and end up with an error. And you might see them do this on multiple different verses in the material, where if they had concentrated on just one of them, mm -hmm. <laughs> spent the same amount of time studying, they would have one correct question and the rest errors instead of all errors. Uh, and that might be an extreme example that I brought up. But in, in general, it would seem like a quizzer jumping on something that they are able to locate in the material um, but don't know well enough to get it correct should 
never happen. Right. Like you should, like, I understand jumping on something and you're like, I can't locate the material. Right. Or, um, or maybe you're trying to get it verbatim or something word perfect and you don't quite get there. But if you jump on an interrogative question or a multiple answer and you are able to know where it is and say some of the answer, but you can't get it all, that would seem to be the worst outcome for me. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to work on knowing material such that if I jump on it and know it's that material, I will get it right. Yeah, indeed. Well, and that leads us to the last one there. Um, which is focus, focus, focus going an inch deep on versus question types, the rule book, et cetera, is almost useless compared to going, um, two feet deep on chapter one. And it's, it's the same principle. Um, right. It's, it, you don't want to jump and kind of muddle through something or in age three, you don't want to jump and have to almost resort to open book to get one point. Um, you should be able to study it well enough to get verbatim and get your four points or verbatim plus reference to get your, your five points. And if that means that there are fewer verses that you can execute that on, then I would do that rather than learn a bunch of verses to get one point. I guess there potentially could be an optimization there, right? If I'm going to study open book and get two open book in every single quiz, um, you know, like I've read through the material twice, but I could say almost none of it from memory, but I have a sense of where some stuff is, <laughs> you know, um, that could potentially be, um, you could t- spend less time studying to average a two than you could to average greater than a two right. by trying to go deeper on some parts of it, like maybe, but I mean, I guess at that point it's, it, I don't know, there's not really a bad thing to being able to get a two versus a, a two with less study than it would to get a three by studying, you know, more intensely or on fewer parts of the material, but knowing it better. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, and on that bombshell, we should probably wrap up. We've been, uh, it's going to be an almost two hour <laughs> uh, podcast episode, but a lot of good stuff uh, here in. So if you have any feedback for this episode or any episode, uh, please email us at IQ at CBQZ.org. So inside quizzing IQ at CBQZ.org. Scott and I will see that. And we love uh, getting responses from listeners and feedback from listeners. Uh, and of course you get head of line privileges if you disagree with anything that we said. Uh, also, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Our account is at inside quizzing and you can follow us on Slack and chat with us in kind of sort of near real time on Slack in the inside quizzing channel. And with that, I will say thank you all for listening and thank you, Scott. Thanks to our listeners and thank you, Griffin. Griffin.